Alrighty. I never introduced myself. If this is your first time here, my name is Brian, and we're glad that you're here. Glad that we did that. <laughs> I'm going to get this stool. I might need to sit down today. If, you if this is your first time here, this is a really good first time to be here because we're starting a new book in our uh, Bible study sermon preaching and everything. And so here's... There's often times I feel this struggle where God does something that's kind of awesome, and in order for me to share it with other people, I have to admit how dumb I am. Because it looks like, I'm not being down on myself, it looks like, oh, you planned that really well. I see what you did there, and I didn't. And so, but then God shows me, he's like, see how great this is? And I'm like, yeah, that is really great. And then I have to admit that publicly. If I, it, in order for everyone to understand what's going on, I have to admit that like, I don't know always what's going on very well. So I've chosen, obviously, to let you in on this secret this time. Last fall, we were praying and you know, felt the, dis, the, the, to go through uh, the book of Exodus, then the book of Ephesians, then the story of Elijah and Elisha. And then to end this year, going through the Gospel of Mark. And it's like, that's our plan for what we're going to study in God's Word this year. And I just felt like as I was praying, this was the list we should do. And sent it to Kevin. Kevin's like, that sounds like a good list. And then, you know, inform the leaders and things. Anyway, whatever. It's what we decided to do. But if you remember, we just finished Exodus. And that took a long while. And God was showing so much stuff. I didn't even want it to end, but, you know, it did. And the book of Exodus ends with... The people of God in the wilderness with God, which is how I said, this is us, how we live now. Like, we're in the wilderness of this world, but God is with us, and it's a cool parallel. And I also talked a lot about, like, how important it was in the book of Exodus and to God, you know, when he's talking with the Jewish people at Mount Sinai and giving them the, the law and everything, that he's like, I don't want you to bear my name in vain. And like I said, like we always say, take his name in vain. We think that's just saying like GD or something like that. And it's really mostly saying, you're going to be my people. You need to act like it. And here's, some, here's what that looks like. And uh, anyway, like we, we go through that whole story. And then we jump to the book of Ephesians, which if you've noticed in your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, like Exodus is like way over there. And Ephesians is like way over here, you know. And they both start with the letter E, you know. You might be like, well, I, I see what you did there. But what ends up happening is if you were going to pick one book in the New Testament as a guide for living as people, God's people in the wilderness and how to do that, you couldn't pick a better book. So it looks like, Brian, you're really smart, and you laid this out so that we went through that whole story, and then now we get some New Testament how-tos about it. And that would be awesome if that is, in fact, what I had done. I think it's actually more interesting to me that I think God did this just through prayer. I was praying, and I felt like, do this, then this. Okay, we'll do that. I come to realize later how perfectly lined up this is. So I've decided to let you in on that. And though I may not be super intelligent all the time, I'm at least submitted to the Lord. So this will be good. So let me pray, and then we're going to go through this, because I couldn't imagine a better book to follow Exodus with for us in this time. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this 
time that we study your word, that you would speak to us through your word, and that we would hear from you what you want us to hear in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this idea of being in the wilderness with God and not bearing God's name in vain, and you say, but how? But how do we do that? The book of Ephesians is basically about how to do that. A resource I want to point you to is a link on our website is a kind of commentary, interactive commentary written by Eugene Peterson called Practice Resurrection. I think I have a slide for that. And Practice Resurrection, this book is awesome. And it's more interactive than just a commentary, meaning he's not just going through each text and telling you what they mean in the like uh, academic sense. He's talking about them in a very useful, life-changing sense. And he uses that term, practice resurrection, as a description of the Christian life and actual accurate, a way of describing what bearing God's name, uh, not in vain, that's not what I want to, bearing God's name well, that's what, what it would be called, practice resurrection. So I recommend that. I also have a link on our website to the Bible Projects video about Ephesians. It's a helpful thing. And we may add some things as well. But I want to give you some context to this book. Uh, and some of the context we'll talk about next week, but I want to just let you know, this is a book, it's a letter Paul sent to the church, the believers in Ephesus, which was a big city in the Mediterranean, and it was a big city that had a lot of pagan influence, meaning there was a lot of idolatry, worship, a lot of sorcery, a lot of, uh, a lot of exorcisms, all sorts of things. So these were non, they were not non-spiritual, I keep doing this double negative thing, they were very spiritual people, but they just weren't all, uh, that culture was, but then he's writing to the believers among them, okay? That matters, and we'll get more into that next week. Paul administered there for three years. He also sent Timothy. Timothy was there a lot. You can read in First and Second Timothy. Paul's talking to him in that, about that kind of church. And also, you can see in the, in the book of Acts, in chapters 18 through 20, Paul was there, and they talk about him being there, and a riot happening, and all this kind of stuff. And so we'll talk a little bit about that next week as well, because that gives some context to what's happening in chapter 2. And Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome to the church there. So you have to remember that. So anytime he's saying anything about how good God is and about what it's like to follow God, remember he's writing this from jail. And it's probably not jail like we imagine jail. It was probably more like house arrest and stuff like that. But confined because of his dedication to Jesus, to his ultimate end. And so he's not writing it like, you know, since things are so great and I'm rich and all and I'm sitting in my mansion, he's not doing that. And he's not collecting royalties from this book he's now published or something like that. This is a letter he's writing to believers to help them from prison. Um, and it's one of, it's I think the only letter that Paul writes, Kevin can help me, that doesn't have any like major corrections in it. Like, like yeah, we were going through Corinthians and stuff those last two weeks and if you, if you, I don't know if you went back and looked, but there's some pretty big corrections. There's some of his pretty weird stuff that these people were doing. He's like, yo, stop the weirdness. This one doesn't have anything like that. This is more just like instructions to believer. And they call some of these books circular letters. And you can even see that. I can't remember. I wish Kevin was in here. There's the, uh, there's a one part. Oh, there he is. He's hiding back there. What's, which book is it where he's like, hey, also get that letter that I sent them, you know? Colossians, where he's like, you know, share this letter with that other church and also get the one I sent them, which we don't even have anymore, I don't think. So point is that these letters weren't just for the people there that, that time. There are parts of it that bear more value to their culture. But he's like, share it with other people. And that even includes us. I think you need to hear that. That he's like, share it with other believers, which you can keep being, it's been being shared for 2,000 years all the way to being shared with us, which is pretty cool. Overall, the book is broken down into kind of two big chunks. The first three chapters and the second three chapters. The first three chapters uh, is uh, 
about the gospel and what we call like we use D words here, doctrine. What do we believe? You know, and then the second half is kind of about the duty or living it out. So I got you got the D words today. So um, the gospel and living it out. And there's a, and the big theme, and some of this we'll get into next week, which also oddly really well fits into this whole idea of this this praying fast thing that we were just talking about, is that a big theme in this book is about the reconciliation between, uh, ethnic reconciliation really between Jews and Gentiles in this church and in the church throughout. So that's a big theme. We'll get into that again next week. So, so what I'm going to do today is this first chapter is kind of an introduction. It's kind of like the greeting. Um, and I'm going to go through the first bits relatively quickly because I want you to hear two verses that I think jump out to explain this whole thing that I think God wants us to take hold of for today, for the rest of our lives, and as we're studying through Ephesians, okay? So the first part is a greeting, and uh, I'm just going to kind of narrate this as we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, is like his own name, you know, to God's holy people, the church, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace in peace. Or God's holy people in Ephesus, you know, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So like that's the introduction. Then he goes into this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And when he says us, he's meaning all of us, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The one that owes capital is Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of, our, of, of sins. This redemption through his blood is referencing again Exodus. You saw the, and also the, so it's like a Passover reference. And the atonement and the sacrifices and the temple and everything like that. Um, but through his blood is what, you know, you can hear the Exodus in there. Forgiveness of sins, this is the atonement. In accordance with the riches of, his, of God's grace that he lavished on us, lavished on us, like abundantly giving with all wisdom and understanding. This is how God does this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, which is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. That mystery that the Messiah, the King of Israel, is also the Savior of the entire world. And through him, he's going to put together all things. Some of these are yet to happen, even now. In him, we are all chosen. Wait, sorry. We are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, and that's, that's a reference to the Jewish people, we that were the first to put our hope in Jesus Christ, might be, for the praise of his glory. And you, meaning everybody else, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which you remember in the book of Acts when we went through this, that the original apostles were surprised at, like, well, I mean, 
I guess this salvation is even for the Gentiles because God's put his Holy Spirit on it. Like, God did that. We didn't do that. We can't do that. God did that. So this is for everyone. But it was a mystery that God revealed. And when you were there seeing it happen, it was like, oh, my goodness. This good news is much better than I thought it was, you know. And God sent his Holy Spirit to us, to you, to me, as a mark, marking us as the people that bear God's name and sealing us. Meaning like when they would write letters, you've seen some of this in movies, you would have like a seal, which would be like your signature or, you know, I don't know what a modern equivalent of that would be because like we don't even sign things anymore. Notary, I guess. Yeah, it's like this, this, verif- this, this is God saying, these are my people. I've stamped them and marked them and sealed them. And the whole, prom, through the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that's a whole big intro statement. They were blessed, chosen, predestined, lavished. These are the things that God is doing for us, to us. Kind of an overwhelming list of good things that we as believers, or he's speaking to believers here, receive from God because God decided to. It's kind of an overwhelming list. He's like, you have everything. Isn't this wonderful? And it can almost be so overwhelming that you don't even let it like sink in. But he's wanting to just lay that out. Let's make sure we're clear about this. Like, I'm writing to you guys, and I'm so excited about what God has done, that he's, he's blessed you, he's chosen you. That, and he goes into this whole thing about, like, before time began, God chose you. He chose Israel. He's chosen you, he's, or you guys. He's chosen, you know, there are, there are corporate values to these as well. That God is involved in history. That God is involved in your life. God is not uh, promoting deism here, you know. You just kind of set everything up. Well, let's see what happens. You know, it doesn't work that way. He's involved. And you can't look at Jesus' life and not see God as involved. God is involved. God has put things in your life together so that you would come to know him. All of this because he loves you. And then Paul goes on. This is the this, this second part. Yours might have a, high, uh, a title. Mine says, Thanksgiving and Prayer. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, wait, I want to pause before that. This is the part I was talking about, Sandy. So he's thankful. He's thankful for this church. Right? He's saying all these things that God has done for you and the amount that you love God has gotten back to me and the amount that you love God's people, all of God's people, has gotten back to me. And I'm very thankful for that. I remember you in my prayers and I celebrate that. This is great. And we just established this huge long list of how awesome God's love is for us, very clearly defined even and described for all of you that know Jesus, what he's given you in a galactic, you know, epochal sense or whatever, the biggest words you could come up with. This is God's gift to you because he loves you. And then he says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, give you, after he's given you all this other stuff, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. And I started to think this week as I was praying, know him better. Like, we just went through all the stuff we know. This list of knowing things is quite long. Like, we know him. We, I mean, like, what else do, you know, and I do understand, like, I'm not trying to be silly, but this is how my brain started getting, was like, all those things we just said, like, and I do know because God is infinite, and I talked about this a little bit last year when we talked about the love of God, not last year, last week, um, because God is infinite, talking about him in even words can sometimes just get clunky, um, because uh, <laughs> when it comes to things, when it comes to God, like, you're always just getting to know him. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's going to be a permanent thing. He's like, as it, no matter what he reveals to us, it's just the beginning. Because infinite, it doesn't have, like, how much is infinite? That's the whole point. There isn't a much, you know. And so it's hard to talk about. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to fathom. And so I do understand that. Like, one of the quotes from Eugene Peterson's book, which I have a slide for, is uh, he says, um, in matters of God's grace, hyperbole, hyperboles are understatements. Did you find that? Put it go see if I need this. It should be out there somewhere. There it is. Just, so just stick with this. In matters of God's grace, hyperboles are understatements. You can say in matters of God's love, hyperboles are understatements. I mean, this is just kind of how because God is infinite, that's just kind of how it is. You know, you can't over exaggerate things. But we can, we have like a limited ability to take it in. So when I was thinking about this and praying about this this week. He says, I'm praying that you have this wisdom and revelation to know him better, better than all of those things that I just listed. What stuck out to me was kind of what Cheryl was talking about, and it's the difference between knowing something and knowing something. And this is the important thing that I think God wants us to take away today. You might know all of those things I just said. Paul, I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of him, but you don't know it. Not all of you do. Do you know it, though? Like, do you know it? And it's kind of a head versus heart thing, you know, if you want to use that language. In James, it talks about, you remember this, we read it when we went through the book of James. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even demons believe that. And I'm not trying to make a joke, but it's like, you know, that's not the point, guys. Like, but do you know this love? Do you know it? Like, you know, I know you know that it, you know, but do you know it? Do you know what it feels like to be loved and in love with God? Do you know that? And I'm not trying to, like, get down on anybody or, like, you know, make anybody feel like I'm putting them down. I'm just saying, do you know it? This is kind of like uh, um, in the movie Goodwill Hunting, the part where they're sitting on the bench when Robin Williams finally, is, like, calls him out and he's like, yeah, you're the smartest person in the world, right? But then I ask you, if I asked you about any of these things, like, you know, you could quote all this stuff about war, but you've never been to war. He's like, you could quote all these things about love, but you've never loved anybody. He goes, you, you think you know everything, but you don't know anything. You're just a kid. Good movie. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. A little bit of language, warning, you know, ask your parents. But the, uh, the point is, he's talking about this kind of knowing. Like, he's like, you're smarter than me. I get it but you don't know anything like what I know. And if you want that help, I want to help you. And that is an important part of this movie. This is the same thing 
they were talking about. It. And you might go, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. I don't know it. I don't know it. I've known about it. I've always heard about it. I've always heard about this idea of the love of God, but I don't know it like you're talking about. I don't feel it. I haven't ever felt it. I don't. So you go, but how do I do that? It's kind of the same thing as this bearing God's name. How in the world do I do that? This is the next verse that Paul puts in. And I have this on its own slide, Sandy, I think. The, uh, Paul says, I'm going to pray this. I've been praying that God would reveal, you know, give wisdom and revelation. And he goes on in verse 18. He's like, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably great power. No show of hands, but how many of you think that describes your life on a daily basis? You wake up with incomparably great power. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says this, but we have this treasure, this incomparably great power, this love, this Holy Spirit in jars of clay. That's a reference to our bodies, you know, like that God, you know, put us together and breathe his life into us. They have this treasure, the Holy Spirit of God in these jars of clay to show, to mark that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This Christian life that God's calling us to live isn't possible without the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And I'm, I'm going to make it clear here that this Holy Spirit dwelling within us is the Holy Spirit we saw at the end of Exodus coming and filling the temple. Or the, the Holy Spirit falling on the mountain and burning the top and stuff like that. And God's like, don't come close to the mountain because you're going to die if you do. You know, Jesus has made some changes in the, in the, like, in the spiritual world where now God says, I'm going to put that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, not a different one, not a junior one, not the fun size. Which that's a weird time. That as a kid, that always bothered me because this is way less fun when you give me less candy. But he's not giving us the fun size Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit he puts inside you. This is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to do. This is what he's decided to do. This is the mystery of the whole world. And you can't see and all, you can't miss in all these things. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He's saying to everyone now that calls on the name of Jesus, you have the same inheritance as what I've been doing all the way back to Abraham. I've included you in it. Even the people that least likely to be included. And I want to put this spirit in you. But do you know it? Here's the thing. He's praying that their eyes of their heart would be awakened. This eyes of their hearts being awakened is something God does. Which fits very well with that first whole paragraph we read about God choosing and predestining and God being the main person doing everything. We don't have to be afraid of that. We need, but we do need to be awakened. And part of this goes back to when Moses, which we saw at the end of Exodus, he's like, okay, but can you show me your glory? I need to see it. This is an okay prayer to pray. I'm going to remind you that because I need to be reminded of it. It's okay to say, God, but yes, but I want to see it in my life. You want to do it. I want you to do it. Let's do it. I want to see it. And so I thought about um, the incomparably great power that God wants to put in us. <laughs> that was stupid. I was like, I said, it's like the genie in Aladdin 
when he says, I got phenomenal cosmic power with this, you know, itty bitty living space, which is a second Robin Williams reference for the day. But the, uh, um, but God places his power in us. Uh, okay, whatever, it's all fine. Uh, okay, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. And so why does that not happen? That's what I'm going to get to. Sorry, I was distracted by things I wrote. Um, the first one is this. I think it's that we're distracted. And I want to be clear about that. I think we're distracted. Um, it's like we find ourselves thinking like... Let me, I'll use another, <laughs> another 90s reference. So, uh, you know the beginning of The Matrix when there's like this shot of Neo's apartment and he's like, has these computers and he's like a hacker and he's scanning the internet all the time for the meaning of The Matrix and all this kind of stuff. And back in 1999, it was like, whoa, this guy's got a room full of computers and all this hacking stuff to find out the, it's like the meaning of life or something like that or what's wrong with the world or whatever. And he's scanning it 24 hours a day to find out his, you know, whatever, his purpose and all this kind of stuff. And then now you fast forward to like 2023, we literally all have this all the time. Like we're scanning the internet 24 hours a day. You don't call it the internet anymore because it's just apps, but they all run on the internet, all right? So you don't have to be a, uh, a hacker anymore to be on the internet 24 hours a day seeking out the meaning of the matrix. You know, we might say whatever. You're like, who am I? What am I doing? And that's kind of what we're doing with all this stuff. You know, let fill this gaping hole inside me like Neo has about the matrix or whatever. And the funny thing is, this question that Jesus, when they were talking about John the Baptist, this is the question that he was like, what did, you, what did you come out to see? What did you come out to see? You know, he's, he's talking about, he's getting to, he's a prophet. Like, you came to see a prophet. Let's remind us that. But when you put it in, like, this kind of context, it's like, what did you, you go on there to find, really? You know what I mean? I'm not trying to demonize everything on the Internet. Yes, social media can be used for good, Okay. So I don't hit other conversation. It's mostly not, okay? So but the point is, what are you looking for? You know? What are you looking for nonstop, 24 hours a day, like Neo, back when you used to have to, like, try? Now, it's, now they just give it to you. You know, we all have one of these things. So first off, I think, is that we're distracted just literally by the amount of time we don't pay attention to God in our lives. We're just distracted. Still hurting still broken, still needing to see God's glory, still needing to encounter him, still needing most of all to experience the love of God, but we're just distracted. And it's not just our phones, it's also everything else, but I mean, you know, you get the point. The second thing I think is, and I'm using more D words, is that we're disengaged. And what I mean by this is uh, we're, we're looking for God, but we're like looking in the wrong way. You know, like, you'll say, God, I want you to show me your glory. And when I say that, I have a list of the kinds of things that I'm okay with you showing me your glory through. And God's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> do you think you could talk to me like that? Like, I'm God. You're going to tell me, okay, God, if you do this, then, or, 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 or when I pray, I want to see God's glory. I mean, it literally needs to look the exact same way it did when Moses did this or whatever. Or that if it's not fire, then it doesn't count. Or I don't know. We make... Don't go with my list. You got your own, all right? What we have to do, when we say, God, show me your glory, you surrender that whole list. 
and most of us aren't willing to do that. And I, this is what I think that I, wanted, I felt like God was wanting me to talk about. It's like, you know, like in It's a Wonderful Life, all of a sudden at the end, that's a 40s reference for you, so we're all good on the, you're like, at the end he realizes, spoiler alert, he had a wonderful life. I mean, like, that's the whole point. Of, but, but he couldn't see it because he was disengaged with it. He was always looking for something else. I'll be important when this happens. I'll be somebody when this happens. I'll be doing this. The distraction in our lives tends to build this sort of thing where, you know, God will, I'll feel God's presence when this happens or whatever it is. I don't know. You know, fill in the gaps. The point is, he, it was there the whole time. The only person that had to realize it was him. And that was what that whole movie was about. And it's like, I think for most of us, what God needs to do in our lives, and I'll get to somebody else, so I'm just thinking for most of us. So if there's a bell curve, the big part, all right? We'll get to some of the fringes later, all right? So stick with me. The, uh, the bell curve of us in this room, I think we're there. I just think you need the eyes of your heart to be awakened to see it. You might need to go home and watch that movie. I know it's not Christmas, but like, you might need to say, God, what am I missing in my life? I was talking with my dad. Uh, John Lennon has this quote in a song. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. This is kind of what I think we're talking about. John Lennon's not the philosopher that we want to quote all day. But he's an also, this is a good line. This is a good point. Life is what happens. This life in Jesus is what happens while you're busy planning other things. You're always looking somewhere else. And I, I was talking to my dad about, because we just recently had some people pass away in the family, and it causes reflection, and you look through things, and, you know. And kids, you may not know this, but back in the day when you took pictures, you had to load film in a camera. And, like, before they were automatic, it was a strip of film. And it's like, this strip of film should give you this many pictures if you load your camera right. But if you waste some of it, you may not get that many. So, like, you get 24, you might only get 23, or whatever, you know. Or you might be... You know, they give you what you should need, or 36 or whatever. And then you had to take that film, and you had to get it developed, and then you had to get them printed, and then they would give you back on paper photos. And I know you generally know this, but you don't understand how limiting this was, you know. And so you didn't just do it all the time, because it also cost money. And so, like, the, uh, you took pictures of special events, maybe. And so when you look at, there's a line at about 20, 2010 where we just all of a sudden started taking photos of literally everything that ever moves, but, like, before that, you were a little choosy, even in like the digital camera world, because you still had to like bring a camera to something. But definitely in the film camera world, you didn't take pictures all the time, like very rarely. And so you'll look at, you know, when your parents die, you're going to go back and be like, why do they only have like seven photos from this? It was like, well, it's because <laughs> they weren't just infinite. You know what I mean? You just you had to think about it. And the weird thing that happens is you might have a birthday party. This is what my dad and I were talking about. You have like a birthday party and you, you load up some of that film and you take 20, 20 pictures of the 22 or three that you're going to get. And so you're like, well, I got to get the camera finished so I can go get it developed because I want these pictures so I can show them to somebody. So you just like shoot three other pictures really quick to get the camera. Like, okay, it's done now. I can wind it up and then go take it to get developed, right? So those three other pictures in that moment are just trash photos. They're like of nothing, like whatever you got to do, like, you know. And uh, he was saying he was going through some photos of, you know, family stuff, and you find 22 photos of some birthday party that you have no idea what it even is, and you don't even care. Like, it's like, I don't even know what this is or care. And then there's three photos at the end that are of the kitchen. 
from 1972. And it's like a time capsule. And he's like, this is like precious to me. You know, he's like, this is what my life was like. But I was busy focused on, you know, it's like, who even cares about this, you know? And, um, and we were reflecting how often, like, we were going through backing up home movies, and it was the same thing. It's like we're videoing Christmas morning, which is like, I hate opening presents. And so it's like, oh, good, we get to relive this forever. Like, I hate that. But then somebody would take the camera and walk to, like, some other part of the house, and by doing that show, you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember this. And it's like, because that's where just about all our lives were, you know? It's like we're all focused on the wrong thing. And so what I think God wants to say to the bell curve of us is stop. This, these two things kind of go together. Part of what we're going to need to do is like, stop, put this away. And let me open your eyes to what's really going on. Because this, there's this sense that I think the enemy wants to do. like, you need to make some massive changes in your life. And I don't mean like repenting from sin. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, you always need to repent from sin categorically, forever, always. That's not what I'm talking about. I think that we're plagued by these ideas that you're missing your calling or that you're not serving God fully or that you can't blah, blah, blah until blah, blah, blah happens. And I'm telling you, I don't think any of that is probably true. I'll say it clearer than that. I don't think that's true. I think that God has got you predestined, chosen, called, and equipped to be right where you are right now. And it's the same as it always has been. You know, it didn't f- the weather didn't feel different 2,000 years ago than it does now. And we have, some of you all have traveled to the other side of the world, and it's funny, you get up the next day and the sun comes up, and you're like, it's kind of, in some ways, the exact same as where I've always been, because there's one sun, you know, and clouds look the same. It's like the world is huge and the world is small. In times like that too, and God's involvement in our lives as humans is kind of the same way. What I'm meaning is, when Jesus was born, the ultimate revelation of the bearer, he is God in flesh. This is God's glory. You could have been there and missed it. And most people in the story do. And we go, well, I would have, if I had been, you know, don't do that. We're doing, we're missing it now most of the time. This is an invitation to stop and let God awaken our hearts. But we're going to have to stop distracting ourselves. Now, I'm, I'm done. So, Kayla, whenever you guys want to come up. This clo- Some of us do need to be, this is not, I'm going to go, we did the bell curve, right? Some of us need, we all, how do we do all of this, this awakening thing? It, you have to encounter God in your life. You have to. This does not mean that your emotions are always going to feel like God is near to you. Jesus hanging on the cross, God himself says, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God himself in the flesh experiencing this complication of of life, this dark night of the soul, some people call it, this is available and is something we will all experience. But he is not separated from God. He's feeling this separation. This, you know, and there's a lot probably happening there. But my point is, you can't just measure your Christian life by how much you feel like God is with you. But at the same time, feeling is a big part of it. And that feeling, that knowing that I was talking about is what gets you through those darker times, which will come. They do come. Remember, Paul is writing this book from prison, okay? I actually forgot. I'm showing a little clip at the end, so we just wait till you, you'll see. Um, some of us, though, in the bell curve need to be 
that encounter with God's going to be like a slap in the face or like a, whoa, I am not in, the, I'm not doing the right thing. Like Paul, when he's on the road to Emmaus, he's like, you know, I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm trying to kill Christian people and stuff because that's what God would want me to do. And then God, Jesus shows up and he's like, yo, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, oh, this is not what I thought. This is an awake, this is awake, this is an awareness of Jesus isn't, you, it's going to hit you and wreck your world and stuff like that. And he even goes blind for a while until God has to he, bring the sight back to his eyes so that he could see what he was doing. Or like Zacchaeus. I think of Zacchaeus. He's a rich guy. He's kind of like the Godfather. He's like a mob boss. Jesus is passing through town. He's short, so he gets up in a tree to see Jesus. He's like, I don't see what this guy's up to. But he's not a good guy. He's a bad guy in the way you would measure bad guys. All right? So he's like, Don Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, Jesus calls out to him out of everybody in the whole crowd. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not getting away with anything. We all think we're getting away with things. And you're not getting away with anything. And when Jesus' eyes of fire look at you, you go, oh, man, I'm not getting away with anything. So some of us are going to be way more in that category. You need to wake up to the idea that your life matters and Jesus cares about all the details of your life. And you're not getting away with anything. All right? And then some of us, a lot more of us are like the, uh, the guys on the road to Emmaus who've been walking with Jesus and just don't realize until a moment when they do. And then all of a sudden, all these things start to make sense. But I want to end this this way because I think that the message of Ephesians 1 summary that I put together is God loves us because he does. Not because we deserve it. or this, The reason given to us, there's a lot of accordings to in that scripture that we read. God loves you because he does. You can't make him not and you can't add to it or earn it. Like, I'll pay you back, God. Don't worry. You know, this isn't how this works. He loves you because he does. And you need to know that inside your heart. And if you don't, if you say, I would love to, then we need to be praying for you. We have a prayer team that will pray for you today. And you need to say to God, I want to know this. If what that guy said is true, help me to know it. Not know it, but know it. And I want to play this clip at the end. I shared this a little bit before just because I think it gets at this really well. Is It's a really short it's, it's kind of a video, but it's really just a slide where it's Rich Mullins, who is, um, I'm killing it with my 90s references today. He was a Christian artist from back in the day. And this is him introducing a song, but he's talking about the nature of the love of God. And he says some things that are sort of disarming to a lot of our walls. Because some of us imagine that we're unlovable because of things we've done or because of who we think we are or whatever. And, and God is making it very clear in this. It doesn't matter what you think. He can love who he wants to love. And I think that if you listen to Rich Mullins talk here in this clip, it kind of helps uh, get at some of that. So I'm going to let this play, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll go. So. Sometimes I, I find it hard to pray, and maybe that's why I've written so many prayer songs is because it's easier if you sing sometimes. And uh, God may find it more entertaining than if you just say it, too. Who knows? Except that I'm just not really all that sure that God is all that concerned about being entertained. I'm not sure except what that's just a, a human thing. Sometimes, you know, you try to pray, you try to impress God with all the right words. and I just don't think it's an easy thing to impress God Almighty, if you know what I mean is. 
And here's the thing that I think we often forget is that we don't have to impress him. Because he's already knocked out about you. He already loves you more than you can imagine. I remember reading the thing that Picasso once said. I, I like to read what famous artists have to say because I can barely, I'm barely able to look at their paintings without going into a coma trying to figure out what it's about. But he said this one thing that I really did like. He said uh, that uh, good taste was the enemy of great art, which I think is very, very true. Good taste has all to do with being cultured and being refined and if art has to do with anything it has to be do with being human and one of the reasons I love the Bible is because the the humans in the Bible are not very refined they're uh, pretty goofy if you want to know the whole truth about it and I remember when I was a kid and people would always say uh, you know because I was one of those typical depressed adolescent types I wrote poetry and stuff is how morose I was as a kid and people would go around saying oh cheer up man because God loves you and I'd always say big deal God loves everybody that don't make me special that just proves that God ain't got no taste and I don't think he does thank God God takes the junk of our lives and He makes the greatest art in the world out of it. And if He was cultured, if He was as civilized as most Christian people wish He was, He would be useless to Christianity. But God is a wild man. And uh, I hope that uh, in the course of your life you encounter Him. But let me warn you, you need to hang on for dear life. Or let go for dear life. Maybe it's better. Amen. So Lord, we praise you that you have no taste. And that you love each and every one of us because you do. And we thank you. We thank you for that love. And God, I pray that those in this room that have never experienced this love would come to know it, would come to know you for who you truly are, the wild man he was describing. God, encounter us in our distraction and in our disengagement and engage us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. We'll have a prayer team up here in the sides by the doors. If you need prayer, come forward. If you want to spend time at the altar, definitely come forward. And Justin's going to lead us in a song, and then, and then we'll close.